you remember, we've been going through the book of uh, James. And if you remember, we started off in the first part from chapter 1, 2 to chapter, uh, verse 12. He's talking about uh, triumph over, uh, trials and you triumph with it, turning tri trials into triumph. And I think it's important to, to recognize we all have trials. Uh, you know, it uses the word a win. It's various, so your trial will be different than mine. It's very similar to what Marilyn was saying about. And then we also, you know, it's been into handling temptation. We often try to handle the trial and they're tempted to do it our own way. Abraham did that with, uh, whether it be with Abimelech or whatever, we often try to do the same thing. And then we remember we talked about uh, quit deceiving ourselves. And it talks about are we a doer of the word or simply just a hearer. And that's why we be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and then look in a mirror and truly see what we need to change and then change it. If you remember last week, you looked at partiality. And we're commanded not to show partiality. And remember, we're told we can do that three ways in those verses. We can be courtesy to all, compassionate for all, and then consistent in all. How many of you find it hard to be consistent in all? It's a constant thing to, for all of us to be working on. It really is to, be, to do that. So as we continue in this study of James and practical Christianity, we come on to one of the most misunderstood passages in fact, Martin Luther even said that when he read this passage, he said this is a right strawy epistle. A right strawy epistle. In other words, he didn't think it should have been in Scripture. And part of that is because he misunderstood what his author was writing. And we'll see that. Uh, when our three kids were dating and looking for mates, Gene and I, as well as the kids, wanted them to date believers. And obviously, and have evidence of their faith. And on many occasions, Gene and I could see right from the beginning that they had no fruit, and we greatly questioned their salvation. Of course, the kids, when you ask them, oh, yeah, I talked to them, they're Christian. Well, okay. So when you started talking to them, and I would start talking, I remember one on a particular occasion sitting in the dining room table, and I was talking to him, and it was very clear, are you a Christian? Yes. And you started asking him questions. He didn't know what a Christian was. Just everybody in America is a Christian, you know. So the kids knew that they should date Christians, so they asked, but they didn't go further. And on that particular occasion, I had the privilege of leading the Christ at the dinner of dining room table. Uh, but you never know. I think it's important, but how many times do people say things, and we, give, we believe they're, uh, and, you know, that they're Christian, but are they really a Christian? And the text today is going to address that, that we have to have evidence of our faith if we're truly a believer. And so I think, first of all, when we look at it, we're talking about genuine faith in chapter 2. We need to look at Paul and James are not actually at odds with each other. They're actually in agreement. They're coming from different perspectives. Stress, uh, Paul stresses the root of salvation as faith alone. You come to know Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace are you saved, what? Not of yourselves. Gift of God, not of works, what? What does verse 10 say? We stop. Now Paul then goes on and says, We are in his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he pre, uh, preordained for us to do. So Paul believed in good works, but it comes after salvation as a result. But Paul's emphasis going throughout, same thing in the book of, of Romans, you're saved by faith, period. Okay, so that gets you into it. Uh, in heaven based on the total death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What he did for us. Well, James 
is stressing the root of salvation. If you have no fruit, you have what? No root. Not a believer. So you have to have it. Paul sees it from God's perspective. God looks inside the man's heart and he knows. You and I are looking on the outside and what do we see? And that's what James is addressing. So often, by the way, did the disciples recognize Judas as an unbeliever? No. No. With time, I believe they would have. That's why 1 John talks about it to the intestine and you need to look at it in the fruit and so on. And sometimes it takes time. And so I think it's important. That's one of the reasons why Gene and I strongly encourage every one of the kids date quite a while. And it was amazing after they did, they would come to the conclusion that we could see and they ended up with the three believers and very thankful for what we got and what they got. I think it's important though, you have to get with time. So let's look at it then. We think about this genuine faith. They're not in disagreement, but they're actually in agreement. We're talking about James and we're talking about uh, Paul. In fact, the early leaders of the Reformation used to put it this way. We are justified by faith alone, but, by, but not by faith which is alone. Let me give it to you again. We are justified by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone. I think it's an interesting statement. We can really need that. And this is what uh, uh, Swindoll had. Faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you always see the results. <laughs> well, alright, so if we're a believer, we ought to be able to see what? See the results. Alright, so let's look at it. How would you define faith? A lot of people will define it in many different ways. I think Romans chapter 4, let's just take it straight from Scripture. I think you have a definition. Romans 11 is actually a demonstration of faith in 11.1. But in Romans chapter 4, if you remember, in the book of Romans, the most doctrinal book in the New Testament, in chapter 1, if you remember, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew and also to the Greek. Come to Christ by faith. Well, then, in order to get somebody saved, you have to get them lost first. So in chapter... 1 verse 17 all the way through chapter 3 he's showing the Gentile is, uh, he is lost, the moralist is lost, and the Jew is lost. That's why he ends up in chapter 3 and 23 what? For all have sinned and what? Okay, so then when he gets to chapter 4, he now starts talking about salvation by faith and he then goes to Abraham and if you notice in verse 21 what does it tell us? Romans 4 21, I think the definition you have of faith and what does it tell us? Abraham, being fully assured that what he, God, had promised, he was what? Able to perform. I think that's one of the, right out of Scripture, a definition that you have. It's in the same passage where it says, Abraham believed God is, you know, to him is righteousness. If you go back to verse 3, you'll see that. This is out of Genesis 15. You remember what the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it, what did he believe God about? 15, remember in chapter 15 of Genesis, he was, he was promised he would have children in chapter 12. You remember the Abrahamic covenant. Well, they haven't had children. They have Eleazar in chapter 15. He wants to adopt to make Eleazar the heir. And then and God says no. And this is what he said. He believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. You notice in verse 4, our good works are what? It's what we owe God. It's not going to get us anywhere. We owe it to him. 
When you go out to your car and you turn the key, do you expect it to start? Yes. You own the car and you want it to start. Okay, so the definition then is being fully assured that what God's promised, you remember we're basing it on His, on God and His Word. It's important. A lot of people have faith, but what do they have faith in? The object of our faith is critical. You go all over the world and you'll find people who have faith, but they have faith in themselves or in objects or wooden idols or whatever it might be. So let's go back then to James then and think about it. Also, so that would be the definition. The demonstration would be in Hebrews 11, all the different walks of faith. In Hebrews 11, each one has a different walk. If you look at it, one of them is the work of faith. Now, how would you like to be Noah? God's telling you to do what? Build an ark. How long did it take you? 120 years. He also preached while he was building it to all the people. How many people came to know God? Just his family members. And he says it's going to rain. Has it ever rained on the earth yet? No. Would that be quite a work of faith? All the ridicule, why are you building an ark? It's going to rain. What's rain? You're building this massive, massive structure on dry land. Think about it. Work of faith. You have Abraham with the weight of faith. You have all the different ones throughout the book of Hebrews. Each one had a different... God was testing them in different ways with faith. So I think about it, the demonstration. So you could say they believed in spite of evidence. That would have been Noah, right? They both obeyed in spite of circumstances. What about Daniel chapter 3? Did the three friends in the fiery furnace, did they obey in spite of circumstances? You remember when Nebuchadnezzar gave them a second chance, what did they say? We don't need to think about it. He has the capability, it's an amazing statement. He has the capability of saving us from that fiery furnace when you throw us in. Anywhere in Scripture where that ever happened before? No. No. But even if He does not, we are going to trust Him. Notice again, faith, but it works. It's demonstrated. Daniel 1, they had it too. What about Daniel 6? And when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? Same thing. Faith and work. So that's the demonstration. So when you think about it, just from the beginning, how would people describe our walk? How would they describe it? A walk of faith or a walk of something else? So now the decision that we have is in Hebrews 11, 6, and then we'll be in James. Hebrews 11, 6, after he's talking about it, remember he gets, we have so great a cloud of witnesses before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. He then tells us in verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. If that's the case, is God going to put you in places that you're going to have to have faith? Yes, because He wants you to do what? To please Him. Was Job put in any of those circumstances? And did Job succeed? I think it's important to recognize all of us are going to have to walk by faith and that we're all going to be put in those trials. So let's look at it. Think about the discovery that you have. And notice that question we can ask yourselves too is, is God pleased with me? But if you look in the book of James then, notice the discovery. What type of faith do you have? He's going to talk about three different types of faith in James 2. And let's look at them. James chapter 2. Notice you're going to, first of all, you're going to have the inquiry. And I'm going to call this dead faith from verse 14 to 17. What use is it 
My brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Remember, he is not talking about salvation. He's talking about, uh, well, salvation has to be going to produce works afterwards. So he's not talking about you, you get their faith plus works, which is what so many of the religions of the world teach. But notice the, the, uh, what you're going to have. They notice you have the illustration. If a brother or a sister is without clothing and is in need of daily food, and one of you, you there, singular, says to them, Go in peace, be warned, be filled. And yet, you is now plural, none of you, do anything to give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? So you, have, you see a need, and you can fulfill the need, and you don't do it. What good is it? You need one with the other. I think it's interesting when you look at it. What about the... Uh, I would call this, if you like, would be indifference. They're not involved. What about the Good Samaritan? In Luke chapter 10, you remember the Good Samaritan? How many were there? How many went by that's recorded? Three. 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 Who were the first two? A priest. And a priest and a Levite? Let me ask you, do you think the priest and the Levite could defend their faith? Yes. Could they talk all about Scripture and defend it all? Yes. Did they demonstrate their faith? No. The Samaritan, did he defend his faith? Yes. How did, how did he defend his faith? By his actions. So notice then they had dead faith. I think it's interesting we have a lot of them that we have with dead faith. Is my faith a dead faith? If I was in court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict me? You think about it. It's a good question to ask. At work or anywhere else, is there enough faith that people then can say yes, no matter who they call, can come forward and say yes, he is a believer, and this is why I know he is. That's why you have it in, in 17 then. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Notice you're saved by faith, but this thing can produce. You look at all the different disciples and everything else, just what they all did afterward shows you that they truly were following Christ. So notice the second one that you had then, you think about it, is the, I would call it demonic faith. I'll explain why. Notice starting the debate in 18. But someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You ever think there's some discussions going on, right? Notice the discovery in verse 19. You believe that God is one. Obviously coming out of Deuteronomy 6. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So notice the dead faith is intellectual. Intellectual only. But notice with the demons. If you think about it with demons. Mark chapter 3. Whenever the Christ would cast out demons. Remember they call out you are the son of God. Did they know who he was? If you remember with the legion. You remember the man was filled with the legion. And all the different spirits that you have in Luke chapter 8. When he's speaking to them. What did they cry out? Lord, don't send us where? To the abyss. In a punishment. They know the punishment's coming and they know where they're going to go and they don't want to go. So do they know the Bible? Yes. Okay, notice also it's interesting the thing that they do. What's the last word you have in verse 19? They shudder. They believe and they have emotions but they don't change. So notice the first faith, dead faith, is just intellectual. 
The second one is belief and emotions, but notice no works. You have, how many times do you have it? <clears throat> the reason I can say that, I remember uh, Gene's younger brother, Tom, he lived with us for a couple of years. We put him in, college, in high school and stuff. Uh, after his, uh, and so anyway, I remember it too, we had uh, uh, chapel and things like that. And at chapel, they had different ones, and the speaker was speaking, and several of his friends went up to receive Christ, and Tom goes up and receives Christ. Or we thought he did. Everything looked like it, but then over the years, we kept thinking, you know, intellect, emotions, but there is no fruit, and has been no fruit. That's why two years when he came out, when I confronted him about it, and we were talking, got an opportunity driving back from Ruthie's when he wanted to see her place. No. Not at least. Very, very clear. Well, again, when he first goes forward, that's what we believe. Through time, and then obviously we talked to him, and he wasn't willing to do it, uh, recognize the claims of Christ, wasn't willing to do it at that time, and when he came out the last time, he didn't want to talk about it. But still, that's one of the prayers that I have, just like many of you have family members too. Notice, they have intellect, they have emotions, but there was no change. They truly didn't ask Christ in their heart. I think it's interesting when you think about it. Notice the demand that you have then in verse 20. But you are, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fool, that faith without works is useless? The word there, useless, means barren. There's nothing there. It doesn't produce anything. So think about it. You receive eternal life by faith, but now you have to return, reveal eternal life by what? Your works. Just think about with a marriage. Someone says they really love their spouse and do anything else, but then if they won't ever do anything, they just talk about it, but they never show anything, what would the spouse's answer be? You don't love me. You don't love me. There is nothing. Words are empty. There's nothing there to show. And so I think it's important. So you have the first one, remember, is dead faith. It's just intellectual. You have demonic faith, which will be intellect and emotions, but then there's no change. But then notice the third one is the dynamic faith that you have. And notice what happens in 21. Notice it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected. And scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, he was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. I want you to notice then, verse 21 down to 23, how many years of Abraham's life is that? How many years of Abraham's life is that? It goes in reverse order, by the way. It goes in reverse order. So let's just do it, go back in reverse order. If you notice... He believed God was reckoned and was reckoned as righteousness. That's in Genesis chapter 15. When you go up to verse 21, that was 30 years later when he offered up Isaac. He was saved, but he proved it. But it's also interesting when it says in verse 22 that faith was perfected. <clears throat> faith is developed. You think about it with Abraham. One of the first steps to was he told to leave or of Chaldees and go to the land of promise. Was he told to leave Lot? Yes. yes. Okay, was he told, uh, uh, 
his servant wasn't going to be the, the promised son? Was he told that Ishmael wouldn't be the promised son? All these different things that he was told on. It's a walk of faith and development. And when it comes to the, all right, do you really love me more than you love your son? He was willing. Now it's amazing when you look at it and you go back to the story. What did he tell when they were going to the mountain, they were walking to the mountain, and he had the servants with him? He then tells the servants what? Wait here, and I and the lad will what? Return. Return. Now that's amazing. It's also amazing about Isaac. Because Abraham was how old by now? 110. Okay. Do you think if Isaac wasn't willing to be bound on that altar, that a 110-year-old is going to be able to force him to stay on that altar? I don't think we give credit to that. He had faith. Nowhere had he, in Scripture up to this time had anyone been raised from the dead. He said, he recognizes and believes that God said, this is the promised son. This is where our offspring is going to come from. Isaac has not married, has no children. Therefore, he has to be come back and live. So, notice that God didn't stop him. See, also interesting, the next day when he was told to do this, what did Abraham do? He says he rose up early. He also got everything. He had the wood, he night. He brought everything with him. He was prepared. A walk of faith. So it's interesting, it's 30 years time frame, but faith came first, but the works were developed with time, and the works were perfected. Perfected doesn't mean he was perfect, it means he was mature. And that's what you and I need to be doing, the same thing. Dynamic faith. You really can see it in somebody's life. And it's, well, it, and I've watched it with my kids, when, when the marriages and stuff, and you see how the Lord takes a little step at a time. You see with Marilyn working with them and different stuff when they were looking at a house. And then also the walk of faith. And I will never find a house. We'll never do this. Just trust the Lord. And you know, it turns out everyone I've got the house, the best house for them. Uh, of all of them we looked at each time, it's like this is the best choice that you guys could have possibly made. You, I'm glad you didn't go with the other ones before. But it's a walk of faith. After you look at 40 houses and you get pretty tired. <clears throat> Especially you look at the picture. You see a picture, and you get there, and you see there's a slight resemblance. <laughs> and had I seen this, I wouldn't have driven the 40 miles to get here. Uh, a lot of those, but a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith for all of us, because this might be the right one. Yeah, so think about it. Here he has this, you, in faith alone, you know, it's in Genesis. You had that play in Romans 4. You remember it says, reckon to 4, says, faith is what we owe God. It's also interesting, he's called a, the friend of God. Why would that be there, and what does it mean to be the friend of God? How many times is that used in Scripture? Not a friend of God, but the definite article, the friend of God. You realize there's only six times in Scripture where the person is called the friend of God? Uh, interesting book. My brother wrote a book on it. The six individuals that are called the friend of God wrote a book on it. It's interesting. To be a friend of God, back in Hebrews 11, to be a friend of God, you have to walk by faith. That's what pleases him. Abraham was a person who walked by faith. Do you want to be a friend of God? And you're going to have to walk by faith. And that means you won't understand stuff. Stuff is going to happen all the time that you will not understand. 
part of why he allows it to see is how are you going to walk? And how are people going to see you walk? Are you being watched, by the way? We're being watched all the time. So notice then you have the summary that is in 24. You see that a man is justified by his works and not by faith alone. Talking about faith that doesn't have anything. The intellectual faith, the, the faith and emotion. But he has faith in Christ that then shows it in the works that he does. He gives you a second illustration. I think this is interesting. You also have in the same way... Not, was that Ahab, the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them on out by another way? Okay, that's in Joshua, if you think about it. Look over in Joshua. I think you find an interesting parallel to another one that's here. Look over in Joshua chapter 2. We know it. They're, you remember the entering Joshua, and they're entering the land, and they're going up against the city. And you think about it, when they go up against the city, what city are they going up against? Jericho, a walled city. You think Jericho had ever had other people come up to the city? Yes. And who's at the advantage? The person outside the wall or the person inside the wall? Obviously the protection and so on. Notice it's interesting. She hides them and does stuff in verse uh, down through verse 7 and 8, sends them on the way. But notice what she says in 9. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were behold the Jordan, Shine and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, notice our hearts what? Melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. The Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. How much revelation does she have? You think of us. What little revelation she had, she believes it. By the way, did the other people also have the same knowledge? Yes. In the city? Yes. Did they have intellect? Did they have emotions? But did they have a will? They have a will to go fight and not allow and not welcome in and so on. They were just like the demonic faith, were they not? They go fight against. It's interesting when you look at it, only Ahab did. But they had the same things that were before them. I think it's important for us to recognize. So when you go back then, you look at James, and you look at what we have here, Notice she had faith in the messenger, and then she demonstrated her faith in that she brought, took him in, and then she sent him out away. So notice in 26, then the summary: for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. <clears throat> you know, you go to a funeral, and obviously you see it; the spirit's gone, and what do you have? This the body. Okay, so if you have don't have works with faith, then obviously it isn't a living faith. I think it's important to see that. So let's think about some applications that we have. And I know it, you don't mind if you get out early, do you? <clears throat> Notice, how is my walk with God described? Is God pleased with it? Is He going to put you in a place where you're going to have to walk by faith? He is. And how many times do we try to do it on our own? Uh, how well in Matthew 14, how well did Peter walk on the water? 
He walked really well on the water when his eyes were where? On Jesus. And when he went to the circumstances, what happened? In John 20, you have Peter. What happens with Peter when he talks about he's going to be given a, a, a you know, face a terrible death, and he immediately turns to John. What about him? His eyes go on to what? Circumstances and other people. How many times do we do the same thing? We take our eyes off of Christ, which we're told to fix your eyes in Christ in Hebrews 11. We take them on our circumstances. We put them on other people. Why do they get this? Why did this not happen? All the rest of us we take it off. Second question, is my faith a dead faith? If I was in court, is there enough evidence to convict? Think about it. Is my faith simply intellectual and emotional? No inner change resulting in visual outer change. That's why you have the word transformed, isn't it, in Romans chapter 12? You're changed from the inside out. You don't manufacture, it comes joyfully out. In fact, a good illustration, just thought of it. I'll never forget this happened with Jean and I. Jean loves, when she talks, she has to use her hands. I mean, her hands are moving. I don't care if she's driving, I don't care what's going It's great to be behind her, you know. You think she... So anyway, I was talking to her, and I says, we just talk to me and put your hands by your side and don't say anything. It went for about 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Her shoulder, and it didn't work. Well, the same thing. We need that. By the way, we can learn a lot about someone through their non-verbal communication. Do I have dynamic faith like Abraham or Rahab? Would you like to have it? I think it's interesting. I want to be start with the definition of faith. Now, I think it's interesting. Take God at His Word. We need to take God at His Word and then act upon it. If God's laying in your heart to go do something, that's His Word to you, then you need to put actions to it. So I think it's interesting. If you wanted a summary, then think about faith in God and His Word, faith that is involved and not indifferent. You know, see somebody in need, it's, oh, well, somebody else can help them. Faith that is not invisible, but rather displayed for all to see. Faith that is intellectual, emotional, and then volitional. Need all of it. And I think when we do, that's when you really make a difference in the people in the world around you. When they see that. It's really part of you.